You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not. Christ is our King. Scripture is our law. Scripture and the laws of our country now collide head on. Now, just to make it clear, we don't bow down to Caesar. So what does Paul do when he gets his big shot at the Areopagus? Watch him. Now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, your worldview is wrong, your philosophy is wrong, it's not just wrong, it's an affront to God, you ought to know better, you're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent. Okay, well, thank you for joining us today. My name is Tim, and I am here with my co-host, Carlos Montijo. As always, we want to remind everybody that we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. And uh, go ahead and check out the other podcasts out there that are on the network. Uh, You have Slick Answers with Matt Slick. You have Conversations from the Porch. And you have the Bible Thumping Wingnut crew with Tim and Len. So check that out. See what they've got going on. And uh, today we are going to be tackling the second part of episode 20, which was trying to evaluate the presuppositional apologetic method from the Vantillian camp, asking whether or not we can prove the existence of God. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, Carlos, do you want to give us a recap of what that was about for our listeners who may not have heard it? Yeah, so like what you said, we've been describing the fallacies of the way that Vantillians try to make an argument for the existence of God <clears throat> on the using uh, essentially three legs. They try to use the, the first leg of, and I'm not listing them in any order in particular, uh, what was but that? they, uh, my son, okay. uh, but but anyway, do, so do you, have a, uh, do you have a dinosaur in in your house? <laughs> I I he probably has the appetite of one, and that's why he's making those noises. So, oh. um, the uh, so the first leg, according to the this Pantillion perspective, is you have the um, transcendental argument for the existence of God, which is I guess another way of saying the proving the God of the Bible by the impossibility of the contrary. Uh, which they really mean, which should really actually be the impossibility of the contradictory. And then you have the, the second leg of trying to prove the, the, the God of the Bible by presupposing him, you know, because of some sort of metaphysical assumption that you have, that they claim you have to make in order to be able to um, have logic and things like that. Um, and then you have the third leg, which stems from Van Til's doctrine of the creator-creature distinction, 
um, which sort of uh, led him to conclude or to assume that there is a to hold a correspondence theory of of truth. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really good uh, summation of I think the overall picture of what the problems are. But uh, so this week, um, let me I want to start with a, a clip from Bonson. But before I do that, let me go ahead and recap on some of the particulars. Uh, last week we read from an article written by Gary Crampton. It's published on the Trinity Foundation, and. Uh, we would certainly invite everybody to go back and listen to us talk about that. Um, I, I think I think it'd be helpful to just go back and listen to week uh, to to the first week talking about these issues. But in the article, uh, Gary Crampton, I think rightly points out that Ventile really wasn't a presuppositionalist, even though he's touted as Mr. Presuppositionalist, and he points out that even uh, Dr. John Frame, who's an ardent Ventilian, recognizes the problem because Ventile endorsed and, and affirmed the theistic proofs for the existence of God. And in the article, he, he quotes Ventile saying that the ultimate proof basically rests on or is dependent upon uh, presupposing the existence of God. And I, I talked to... I talked to Cy Tim Bruggenkate about this a while back, and I was trying to, you know, kind of tell him what what we're saying in this in this uh, podcast. And he basically said that neither vent because I, I was trying to tell him, you know, you should just uh, hold the Bible as axiomatic. And um, he basically said that neither Bonson nor Ventile thought of God as, as an axiom, but rather they thought of him as a presupposition. And then in his inter, in, in uh, the clip that we heard Sai last week, he actually says that God was a necessary precondition. So it seems like there's a little bit of shift there. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I haven't, I haven't really talked to Sai about this again uh, since our, our last conversation, and it was a while ago. So uh, he, he may have... Uh, uh, changed his view. I'm I'm not really sure, but the the whole the whole problem that we pointed out last week was that if you are trying to prove your presuppositions, then they're not really presuppositions because the only way that you can do that is by something that that's prior to your presupposition, and then there's there's basically no re reason or th there's no need to presuppose it. So this week, um, what I want to point out is, because when I, when I talk to Ventilians about this, there's a lot of uh, shiftiness that goes, that goes on. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that maliciously. I, what I'm saying is that uh, what, what ends up happening is you'll say, well, um, you can't presuppose um, you can't prove God if you're presupposing God and then I've had people tell me well Bonson didn't really believe that God was a presupposition or that he was a he was a necessary presupposition um, or they'll say well you know uh, he he didn't believe that God was an axiom but a presupposition or it'll it'll be well he was a 
he, he believed that God was a necessary precondition, but not a presupposition. And so I've gotten uh, different answers from different people, and uh, what this, this this clip that I want to play basically just affirms the fact that uh, that Bonson that Bonson knew and believed that yes, of course you have to, uh, according to his view, that you have to presuppose God uh, in order to argue from the impossibility of the contrary. So. Let's go ahead and start off with that clip. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Max, a first-time caller from Canoga Park, although I think I've heard from Max before. Max, you're on KKLA. How do you do? Okay. Uh, George. Yes. I've got your book, and it's uh, dog-geared and underlined and highlighted all over the place. I think it's the best book that has ever been written. Thank on atheism. But the, root, the title should really be Atheism, the Case Against the Idea of God. Yes. And that's what you meant. Yeah, there was a little uh, dramatic license taken. Uh, that would have spoiled the symmetry of the title. <laughs> right. So it is It is the case, it's a philosophical case against God, obviously. Mm -hmm. And as to this uh, explaining thing, how does one explain existence? Uh, to me, that is totally absurd. I agree. Uh, existence is simply the causal primary. In other words, if you ask for a causal explanation of something, that presupposes something that ex exists and acts as a causal agent. Exactly, and yeah. all of the arguments for the existence of God presuppose the existence of God. It's question begging. There's no problem from beginning that. to end. Hold on, Max. Let uh, Greg Bonson respond to that. Good Go point. Ahead. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the most common and silly arguments against the Christian apologetic imaginable. Of course, arguments in favor of God presuppose the existence of God, just like arguments in favor of atheistic reason presuppose atheistic reason. All right, so right there, Bonson, he acknowledges the arguments in favor of the existence of God presuppose the existence of God. So the, the point that, that I would make is that if you are trying to prove, or if you can prove your presupposition, then by definition, it's not a presupposition. There's no need to presuppose it. So I would go as far as to say that pretty much every Ventile apologist is committing the fallacy of question begging because and Bonson likens it to you know uh, atheistic reason that you know and, and I think Saitem uh, Brugenkate uses this quite a bit. He says, "Well, how how do you know that your that your reasoning is valid?" And uh, you have to use your reasoning in order to prove that your reasoning is valid. I mean, as soon as you offer up an explanation, you're imploring the use of your reasoning. And so the the problem is is that if if these these are axioms. So you can assume the validity of your reasoning, but you can't prove the validity of your reasoning. And that's that's the exact problem that we're finding with Ventile apologists is that you can assume the the uh, the, the the God of the Bible. You can assume the Christian position is true as a, as an axiom, as an assumption, but you can't prove it. As soon as you start to prove, try to prove your axiomatic uh, starting point. Um, you fall into uh, circular reasoning. You fall into uh, question begging, um, and it's for a, a very simple reason. You can't prove you can't prove what you first have to assume. And and by definition, presuppositions are assumptions. You have to presuppose something to be true because there's nothing prior to it. So what what we often hear sometimes, uh, Ventile apologists will say is that well. My 
my presuppositions are not viciously circular. And basically what they mean is that they're not self-contradictory. So a viciously circular presupposition would be something like uh, empiricism, that you know uh, all knowledge uh, comes by way of uh, observation of the senses. I mean, that's, that's a, a standard that has never been observed. So that would be a, what, what the Ventilian apologists would say, viciously circular. But the problem is, is that it, it doesn't, I mean, saying that, okay, my, my, uh, my presupp I can prove my presupposition because it's not viciously circular doesn't really do anything because you're still being fallaciously circular. You're still committing the, uh, the, the, the fallacy of, of uh, begging the question. And so Clark, Clark writes, if everything is to be de demonstrated or proven, the demonstration turns out to be either circular or an infinite regress. Both are unsatisfactory. Therefore, some things cannot be demonstrated. These are first principles, which themselves are the basis or beginning of arguments. And if they are the beginning, they cannot have been previously argued. To require a proof of a first principle is to misunderstand the whole procedure. That's a, a quote from Christian View of Men and Things. <clears throat> so the Clarkian position is is basically you can avoid you you can avoid circular reasoning by by just postulating your presuppositions as axiomatic, and, and what they're doing is they're they're not postulating um, presuppositions as axiomatic. They're trying to prove their presuppositions. They're they're trying to prove their assumptions. And and uh, by doing that, y you're you're it's it's surprising that that they're making this mistake because this is basic basic logic and and I'm surprised that Bonson you know acknowledged that it's it's just surprising. I think what needs to be understood or clarified uh, is that formally. Formally speaking, circular reasoning or question begging is not fallacious. <clears throat> um, the form of the argument is not invalid because if you say, you know, so I guess the Vantillian would say something like, uh, you know, the triune God of the Bible is the one true God because the Bible says so. Uh, therefore, the triune God is the one true God of the Bible or something like that. You're actually just restating what you said in the prior premise, so you're not actually adding anything to it, and that's why it's not a very effective argument or proof. It's not actually a proof. You're just restating what you previously said. Um, that's not that's not formally fallacious, but it's really not. You're 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 really not arguing anything. And so the other thing about what what Sai was saying, as opposed to Bonson, so. The, I guess Bonson's argument was trying to say, uh, he would initially say, well, I'm going to prove it by the impossibility of the contrary, which I guess he really meant to say, or hopefully he meant to say the contradictory, the impossibility of the contradictory. But but then he goes around and saying, well, of course you have to assume your, you, that you have to presuppose that God exists uh, in order to prove that he exists. And then Sai also goes and says, um, well, I don't prove it or I don't know it by by refuting all of the other contra you know all of all of the other false views out there i know this or i can prove this because the bible says so and so what they're they they are 
sort of merging and confusing and 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 crashing these two these two circular reasoning and a proof by contradiction both of which are you know they're either both of which are basically impossible to do or they're not they're not uh they're not actually valid as proofs and so this is why it's such a mess because you see them you see the sort of like a tension between them trying to go back and forth between these two extremes of either either I can prove it by the impossibility of the contrary or I can prove it because the Bible says so it's like well <laughs> the either way you're wrong I mean it's it's just it, it's a mess how they they jump around this way and right I, I remember listen I know we there's a clip there's a clip out there where Sai is trying to argue with somebody about this and he's saying like well you're being you're being circular I mean you're being viciously circular but I'm not and it's like well I mean, they sort of try to make like Christianity like this sort of exempt. It's sort of they try to make it exempt from logic in some form, and, that, and that's why they consider it, the the argument valid, because it's the only one that's true. And it's like, well, that doesn't. You're not you're not proving anything. You're you're assuming what you're what you're really doing is that you are holding up the Bible as true, and and you're refuting the opponent's worldview. Uh, but but that doesn't mean that that doesn't that doesn't prove the Bible true. It just it, it because you're assuming it to be true, and if you don't assume it to be true, then you're going to have to use something else to try to prove it, which then that's going to take the authority over the Bible, and you can't you can't do that because now you're you know God said um, he swore by none by by himself because he couldn't swear by anything higher, and that's what we we as Christians are supposed to do apologetically we swear by the word of god and that's because there is nothing absolutely nothing higher than that and they try to escape that by saying you know by just making a mess between those two extremes and so that's yeah. what you get that's basically well, what you get when you have ventilian apologetics yeah and the other thing i mean uh we, we hear them say uh proof by the impossibility of the contrary but then we also hear the tagline uh, the proof for the existence of God is that without him you can't prove anything at all or the proof for the existence of God is that without him you can't know anything at all and once again the only way that you can know that is because that's revealed in scripture and once again that's that's uh, that's an assumption you can't prove because that's that's also a universal proposition um, in the same way that that uh, atheists say that there is there is no God and, and the Christian apologists will come along and say well in order to know that you would have to be all-knowing because uh, that's a universal proposition there is no God I mean you'd have to have uh, you'd have to have all knowledge to, to know that there is no God so uh, people like um, uh, Ray Comfort I mean they do a good job of pointing out that you know atheists don't exist because at best, you're an agnostic, and um, you're basically just denying what you what you know. But in the same sense, when um, a uh, a Ventilian apologist says uh, that there is um, the proof for the existence of God is that without Him you can't know anything at all. Um, well, how do you know that? I mean, you can't you can't demonstrate that. You can't prove that. Um, that, that's uh, that, that's an assumption that you that you have to take from scripture, and it, it it's it's pretty interesting because it's also I'm wondering if it's also self-refuting because the proof for the existence of God is that without Him you can't prove 
anything at all. So, so that proof that you're purporting has to first presuppose the existence of God. And, and it's not self-refuting, but, but it, is a, it, is, it is circular to, to postulate well, that. Yeah, and I forgot about the, other, the third leg of their, of their apologetics you, that you touched on. So yeah, you have you have there, and this is what is what is I guess more popularly known as a transcendental argument for the existence of God. Uh, but so you have those three legs that they try to stand on. You have the impossibility of the contrary, and then you have uh, the 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 proving that God exists by because the Bible says so. But they claim that you know that's being I'm being I'm not being viciously circular. I'm being, I guess, validly circular or whatever. And then you have the the third leg where they also start to confuse or they make uh, metaphysics primary to epistemology. And that that is another problem, you know, I guess when they try to talk about the necessary preconditions or whatever, uh, you're sort of, it's a sort of confused, uh, that's a confusion or, or a failure to distinguish the fact that epistemology is absolutely foundational to everything else you, you there's no escaping that uh, people can have different opinions about that but it doesn't really matter because all you have to do the easiest way to address that or to refute that is by simply asking how do you know um, when we're talking about apologetics when we're talking about epistemology when we're talking about um, arguing you're talking about uh, truth claims, knowledge claims, you're talking about knowledge, you're talking about um, how you know what you know or what you know and I mean all of that deals with epistemology so they 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 have a very poor uh, they have a very poor understanding of, of of how to apply logic with respect to these 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 uh, the apologetics and uh, defending the Bible and things like that and also a like a poor understanding of or a, a poor uh, yeah I guess a poor understanding of philosophy and not not really uh, understanding the the problems in philosophy or the 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 fallacies that come with the that come with trying to make metaphysics prior to epistemology and um, Clark actually has a really good uh, a really succinct refutation of the meta of the metaphysics that Van Tilians hold. Um, because unfortunately, because I guess Van Til didn't have a proper, I don't think he, 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 I'm sure he didn't study philosophy anywhere nearly as much as, as Clark did. And he wasn't, I don't think he was formally trained in philosophy or anything like that. He was primarily just a theologian. And even though he dealt a lot with philosophy, but, um, he basically assumes throughout all of his writings, a correspondence theory of truth. And, the, there's a huge problem with that, uh, a massive problem with that. That's not biblical. And uh, Clark, I'll just read Clark's um, uh, article here, uh, called "The Bible is Truth." Uh, he says, "So what I apprehend to be this confusion as to the nature of truth has spread beyond the group criticized above. The thought of Edward J. Carnell would presumably not find favor with them, and yet on this point he seems to have adopted much much the same position." Consider his argument in a philosophy of the Christian religion. He begins by distinguishing two species of truth. First, the sum total of reality itself, and second, 
the systematic consistency or propositional correspondence to reality. It is not irrelevant to the argument to consider the correspondence theory of truth, but it might lead to a discussion too extended for the immediate purpose. Suffice it to say that if the mind has something which only corresponds to reality, it does not have reality. And if it, and if it knows reality, there is no need for an extra something which corresponds to it. The correspondence theory, in brief, has all the disadvantages of analogy. And this is also very telling because, um, you know, you have Van Til's notion of analogical truth, where you don't, you just have an analogy of the truth, but you don't actually have the truth itself, and, and so on and so forth. And this is the, this is a big issue with, the, with uh, this, this basically is at odds with what the Bible teaches, because the Bible teaches that, and, and Clark um uh, really helped to to clarify this um, because when you, when you're talking about reality, when you have the truth of something, the truth itself is the reality. It's in your mind. You don't need to have something to correspond to it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the truth. You would only have something corresponding to it. And so um, that that uh, that that's called philosophical uh, realism. Yeah, in other words, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of uh, Ventilian apologists like uh, Dr. Oliphant uh, who are still holding on to Ventil's view uh, in, in an attempt to maintain what they call the, the creature-creator uh, distinction. And, uh, I mean, we're going to have to get into that, too, because that's, that's a point where they're, they're wrong and they're, they're confused about. I'm actually... I have Van Til's uh, introduction to systematic theology, and so I'm going to look up that a passage where to show what I'm what to to sh to, to show what I'm describing about his uh, his correspondence theory of truth. And you actually touched on the very thing, the very reason why Van why why Van Til and Van Tilians have this problem, because he tries to make such a sharp distinction between the you know the creature and the creator. Therefore, uh, there has to be a there has to be a metaphysical difference between the knowledge that we have, that humans have, and the knowledge that God has. So he tries to erect a wall between the creator and the creature to to such an extent that now our knowledge is not the same knowledge that God's knowledge is. So we can't know the same thing that God knows, and this is where you get all of the confusion. That comes with um, that that basically uh, erupted during the Clark Van Til controversy of of him of Van Til trying to claim that well God's knowledge is Himself and therefore because God's knowledge is intuitive we can't have God's knowledge because we have to learn it's a derivative knowledge from from His own and it's not actually His knowledge and it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of 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 epistemology and metaphysics because now he's trying to claim that there's some sort of metaphysical difference between the propositions that we believe or we know as true, even if they come from the Bible, that they are not the same propositions uh, that God believes because they're somehow metaphysically different because he didn't have to learn them. Yeah, and, and, so, and what they do is they, they equate learning with knowing. Uh, and, and it's interesting that you bring this up because uh, Scott Oliphant uh, basically makes this blunder in uh, when he, uh, I think it's uh, on the Reformed Forum, he talks about the uh, Clark Ventil controversy, and it's just painfully, I mean, watching that was, was 
painful because it's it's obvious that he doesn't know or understand Clark at all, and yet he speaks about Clark as as you know as if he's an expert on him. But um, let's uh let let's let's get to this here because I wanna I, I wanna move forward with uh the the topic that we were talking about before, and uh, <clears throat> so the the Clarkian position is basically to reject the idea that you can uh that you can prove your presuppositions that you can prove your starting points and and we would point out that presuppositions by definition are assumptions so if you think that you can prove your presuppositions then then you're thinking that you can prove what you must first assume and so the clarkian position is to uh put forth the christian position as axiomatic and um one of the things that we have to address is okay so Axioms can't be proven. They have to be assumed. So how do we, the question is, well, how do you, how do you rule out one axiom over another axiom? How do you evaluate axioms? In, uh, in Clark's book, um, well, it's, uh, it's in the signature series. It's, uh, it's the, the fourth volume. On uh, page 299, uh, Clark writes, he says, axioms, whatever they may be and in whatever subject they are used, are never deduced from more original principles. They are always tested in another way. So there is a way that you can test an axiom. There is a way that you can, that you can look at somebody's uh, presuppositions and evaluate them. He says, uh, he goes on to write, um, does, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the whole thing. He says, if a philosopher ponders the basic principles of Aristotle, Kant, or Sartre, uh, he will do so by considering how well the author succeeds in solving his problems. If the problems are such that confront us all, and if the basic proposals succeed fairly well, then uh, a philosopher is inclined to give his assent to them. He cannot by strict logic be compelled to assent. He makes a voluntary choice induced by the success the successful solution of the problem so too it should be with christian revelation as an axiom we must ask does revelation make knowledge possible does revelation establish values and ethical norms does revelation give a theory of politics and are all these results consistent with one another we can judge the acceptability of an axiom only by its success in producing a system axioms because they are axioms cannot be deduced from or proven by previous theorems so the the way that the way that you can evaluate the, the way that you evaluate axioms and the way that you evaluate the christian worldview is basically what what bonson was doing was he was evaluating the atheistic worldview and he was he was saying that uh atheism fails in producing a a system or a worldview uh it can't answer these these most basic problems it can't answer uh the the problem of knowledge and as a matter of fact uh, bonson points out rightly so in another clip that if naturalism is true then then you you can't account for thinking uh you can't account for knowledge and if uh if uh if if atheism is true then you can't account for values and ethics and ethical norms so that would be the 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 proper way of uh of going about this is assert the christian worldview as true because 
uh, everybody everybody has a presupposition. Everybody has a starting point. You uh, going back to what? Um, let me let me read uh, the other quote. Uh, once again, if everything is to be de demonstrated or proven, it turns uh, out to either be circular or an infinite regress. So those those are the only two options. You can ask, how do you know that A is true? Well, because B. Well, how do you know that B is true? Well, because of C. And you're going to go into an infinite regress until either you 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 come to a a starting point. Um, because if you don't have a starting point, then then your your philosophy or your worldview can't can't start. And I wish that that people would stop trying to prove the existence of God, and just merely say, you know, you know that God exists. I'm not going to try to prove to you the the existence of God. I'm just going to expose to you that you already know God. Uh, whenever you whenever you uh, live as a moral agent, that's ref that's that's basically because you're made in the image of God, and you're a moral agent because God's a moral agent, and you. You, and it's interesting because one of the best ways to to to, to show Christian epistemology or, or to argue for Christian epistemology is is by our, uh, showing that people know that things are morally right and morally wrong because you can't you can't arrive at that knowledge any other way than than Christian epistemology. How do, how do you know that that uh, genocide is is morally wrong? The only way that you can know that is is because you know inherently that murder is wrong and um so the, the christian worldview succeeds in uh providing a a complete coherent and rational system or worldview whereas other other worldviews completely fail and this is this is what we're after this is what we're trying to show the uh the atheist or this is what we're trying to argue yeah uh i have a quote here from uh, Van Thiel's introduction to uh, systematic theology, <clears throat> kind of touching on what we've been uh, discussing. And here he says, so let me find it here. So he says, um, he says, not one single fact in this universe can be known truly by man without the existence of God. Even if man will not recognize God's existence, the fact of God's existence nonetheless accounts for whatever measure of knowledge man has about God so <clears throat> th there's a sense in which this is true like obviously if if there were no God then there there wouldn't be anything else I mean that would include knowledge um, but then here you have him you you hear him talking a lot about the facts of the universe and the fact and you know uh, even the way Oliphant describes uh, Van Thiel's uh, theology when he says you have a man interpreted fact and then you have a god interpreted fact and we need to have god interpreted facts in order to have the the true interpretation of those facts or whatever and by facts i guess they mean you know these things out there that are you, you know out in reality quote unquote right and, they they say that there's no brute facts that um that uh all facts are interpreted by god and we have to have god's interpretation of those facts and and that's the that's the very problem right there by assuming that there are brute facts or that well not they're not assuming that there are uh, brute facts but they're assuming that there's sort there's some sort of facts out there and this is where you see the confusion of metaphysics trying to make um, truth and knowledge metaphysical like some some kind of a, making it some kind of a physical thing 
And so th this is what it, when it becomes such a big confusing problem for them because you have these sort of facts floating around out there and then you have God's interpretation of those facts and then you have, you know, everybody else's interpretation, I guess. So, well, they, they, really they, say, they say that there's, there are no brute facts. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that, okay. that you have, that there's, that, or yeah, I guess there's, uh, that's another confusing thing about their theology because they don't actually define a lot. It doesn't seem like they really define what a fact is. Um, and, and Clark actually has a really good article about that, about dealing with science and, and asking the question, what is a fact? Because there is no, there, there, if you, when it comes down to it, there is actually no such thing as a fact. It's just, it, it's a term that doesn't really mean anything. And so uh, there you see the problem of that, that comes with assuming a correspondence theory of truth. Uh, it, it's a fundamental failure to, to understand or to to affirm what the Bible teaches about truth and reality that the the reality is the truth itself it's the proposition itself that is true and if and we can hold it in our minds and if we can believe if we believe the truth then we have the truth we don't have a a something that corresponds to it we have the truth itself and that was one of Van Til's fundamental errors um, and and you have you know Oliphant and and a lot of these other Ventilians going along the exact same lines, and apparently I don't even know if they've. I'm not I'm not super familiar with these guys, but I, it just seems like they assume it. Like they they don't even seem to question it or really, uh, actually try to deal with it. They just sort of take it wholesale by by by, because Ventil taught it. Yeah, that's uh that's good. Um, all right, so, um. You, you wanted to uh, also touch on um, evidentialism, and uh, I know that we've talked a lot about that, and and um, the the pers uh, the perspective that some Ventilians have about evidence, and uh, what uh, you know it, whether or not you can prove the existence of God uh, by evidentialism. Uh, but why don't um, why don't we go there? Uh, because I, I know that you wanted to touch on that. So, um, in in analyzing the Vantillian position about how you have these three legs of the impossibility of the contrary, um, attempting to prove the Bible, or, or attempting to prove your presupposition, and then you have um, and it being valid simply because it, you assume it to be true, and then you have the third leg of uh, of this correspondence theory of truth. All of this uh, sort of plays into how it's a confusion of the nature of proof and and um, apologetic method, methods. And this is why John Frame said that uh, Van Til is not a true presuppositionalist because a true presuppositionalist, which is what Clark uh, taught and believed, is that you assume you assume your your axiom. You don't prove it, just like we've been describing, uh, you can't actually prove your axiom without being circular or without begging the question. And so this is the, and but, but the reality is that everybody is presuppositionalist, quote unquote. Everybody assume, in other words, everybody assumes something. Everybody has their own axioms. And so this is where you get into the other styles of apologetics of, um, for example, in evidentialism, 
where they try to offer evidences uh, for the probability. Evidentialism becomes even, even, it's even more problematic because they try to offer ev evidences um, so that the correspondence of the, of the I forgot how, what the phrase they use, that the correspondence of the evidence points to the probability that Christianity is true or something like that. They don't actually try to prove that Christianity is true, which in some ways is more consistent. But now you're sort of abandoning the Bible as your as your starting point, And then you, you start defaulting to these evidences as your your ultimate uh, truth claims or assumptions that you have. You try to use archaeology to prove the Bible or you try to use science to prove the Bible. And all of those things basically become your your starting points and they be you give them higher authority than the bible itself than the word of god in itself and so this is the other problem with uh, and then you have the other view the third view which is i guess uh what's the view that rc sproul has for example of uh, classicism of where the classicist actually tries to prove the existence of god and he actually believes that the historical uh arguments for the existence of god are valid and that they're true and so they they take of uh, they they it's another confused form of 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 apologetics because you but, but because by trying to prove it's very different it's very similar to evidentialism because now you, now they're just they're doing the same thing that the evidentialists are doing except that they're trying to they they actually claim that it's a proof and by doing that by by claiming that it's a proof then you have a, um, a bunch of problems because number one you can't prove the God of the Bible without the Bible and a lot of the, a lot of these uh, apologetic methods are an attempt to do that and if you did even if they were true if they were true they wouldn't actually prove the God of the Bible it would be some other God that you know the uh, sort of minimalist deist God that a lot of these uh, arguments try to argue for uh, simply because you cannot prove the God of the Bible from general revelation if that were the case then there would be no need. They're really they're, you're undermining special revelation that is the Bible by by relying so heavily on general re revelation to try to prove uh, the God of the Bible. And so you have a whole mass of confusion in the Vantilian camp with what exactly a presuppositionalist and what exactly um, you, you know how logic applies to these different arguments and proofs. Um, so that's that's really what it comes down to. You cannot prove your assumptions because they are just that. They're assumptions, and you have to start somewhere. You cannot, you, nobody can escape this. Absolutely nobody. Atheists all have assumptions. Everybody has assumptions. Vantilians do as well. Uh, we do as well. And hopefully, as Christians, we would hold to the same assumption or the same axiom, which is the Bible. But um, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Yeah, and um, you know it's it's really interesting. You you were talking about evidence right now, and uh, um, guys like uh, Saitem Brunke, uh, they they like he he basically says that he refuse. You see sort of a of a difference because you have uh, guys like Dr. Jason Lyle and uh, Ken Ham who are Ventilian presuppositionalists, and they offer evidence. Um, for the existence of God and for the the truth of Christianity, and then guys like Saitem Bruggenkate come along, and they, uh, well, he, not they, because I, he's the only Ventilian presuppositionalist that I've heard say this. He basically says that uh, uh, he he won't give uh, the unbeliever evidence because it's like putting God on trial, 
because you offer evidence to the jury. But what's really interesting is that when, when you try to prove the existence of God, you're still putting God on trial. And it, it's interesting because I think that I've heard him acknowledge that as well. Um, and so the, uh, the, uh, the, the thing that he says about evidence is that evidence is for believers. The evidence is, isn't for, uh, for unbelievers because what the unbeliever will do is that they will try, they will reinterpret that evidence in light of their presuppositions. And so Dr. Jason Lyle gives, gives the example in his book, The Ultimate Proof of Creation, you know, you have a fossil and the unbeliever is going to interpret that fossil in light of his naturalism. And the, the creationist is going to interpret that evidence in light of his uh, biblical worldview. And so the, the, the problem, though, with, with size approach and um, is, you know, in, in saying that he, he doesn't give any evidence and that uh, basically taking the position that you shouldn't give any, any evidence to the unbeliever is that there is a place for evidence. And uh, Clark points out that evidence can be used to shame the unbeliever. And I think one of the examples that he gives is that for a long time, secular archaeologists uh, basically said that the Hittite nation never existed. Well, now there's a, there's a I guess what you would call a plethora of uh, evidence, of archaeological evidence for the, for the Hittites. And so you can you can use evidence like that to shame the unbelievers in their unbelief and and you know show them uh, that that they were wrong. So there is a place for evidence, but the problem is is that the the Ventilian presuppositionalist is trying to prove the existence of God, and they recognize, I think rightly so, that evidence can't prove the existence of God. So some of them just completely dismiss it altogether. Uh, and then they go with their, their presuppositionalist approach in, in their attempt to prove the existence of God. But they make the, the, the mistake in thinking that they can prove the existence of God by, by their presuppositions. Well, I think a good way um, to conclude this is by showing that what we, and this is sort of what you've been describing, what we've been describing about when we're talking about evidences, evidences are not proofs. You cannot use evidences to prove your position. You can only use them uh, to, to show the consistency of your uh, position and to refute the, the, uh, the opponent's view by reducing their position to either absurdity or contradiction. And so that's what uh, Gary Crampton in his article uh, describes. You, that there is a valid way of using the, the the transcendental argument for the the transcendental argument for the existence of God. You can use it as a as an ap, uh, in an apagogic way, which is just a fancy way of saying you can use it to um, as a helpful way of reducing your opponent's position to contradiction or absurdity. And so um, I think if we can we can leave it off. We can conclude here with a uh, the, this is the proper way of 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 what the Bible describes of as um, of arguing or doing apologetics. So in Proverbs 26, verse 4 it, and 5, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Um, and in the next episodes, we'll, we'll get into more detail about um, what this means and uh, the scripturalist uh, perspective of doing apologetics and how to apply 
these arguments and this verse. Uh, yeah, and you know, before we go, um, I, I just want to touch on uh, this this last point. Um, the uh, because all last week uh, after the first episode, I was trying to um, sort of figure out how um, how to explain this because. I know that some Vantilians, like uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, they use the example of error, you know, that um, you, uh, in order to argue against God, you have to use error. So arguing, uh, you, you can, or not against God, yeah, against God. But uh, the example that he gives is, is uh, similar to someone saying, well, I don't believe that in error. And you have to use error in order to, argue your case against error. So in some sense, you have to presuppose the the uh, legitimacy of the, the Christian worldview. You have to steal from the Christian worldview in order to argue against the Christian worldview. Or, um, you have to uh, image the, uh, you have to image the likeness of God in order to argue against um, God as a, uh, as a, as a creator. And, I came up with something uh, similar, and and it, it came from reading uh, a, an article by Gary Crampton and an article by uh, by John Robbins, in which both both uh, authors were were talking about the law of contradiction, and it, it dawned on me that the law of contradiction cannot be proven. And uh, Gary Crampton writes, the most fundamental laws, uh, the most fundamental laws of logic cannot be proven. For any attempt to prove the law of contradiction would presuppose the truth of the law of contradiction and therefore beg the question. So Gary Crampton points out that you can't prove the law of contradiction because you have to first uh, assume that it's it's uh, true. Uh, but then uh, Robbins points out that neither can the laws of logic be denied because they must first be assumed. And Robbins uh, writes, the opponents of logic must use the law of contradiction in order to denounce it they must assume its legitimacy in order to declare it illegitimate. They must assume its truth in order to declare it uh, declare it false. And so this is this is kind of where I, I don't think you can't prove the 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 Christian worldview true. But in order to argue against the Christian worldview, you have to presuppose it. So neither can the Christian worldview ultimately be denied. And uh, I, I think that this is this is what you know. The, the the fool says in his heart that there is no God, but in, and in Romans one it says that they are without excuse because they know God. And so, in a similar sense, uh, you can't prove the God of the Bible because you must first presuppose Him, but you cannot ultimately deny Him either. Now you can reject Him. So this is this is in a, in a certain sense you can't ultimately deny Him. Because when you argue that the God of the Bible is immoral, you're imaging God because you, being an image bearer of God, are a moral agent because God is a moral agent. And Proverbs 1.7 says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So in order for you to know anything, you have to start with God. But uh, And then in addition to that, Colossians 2 3 says speaking of Christ it says in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so you can't uh, you really can't know anything unless Christ uh, who is the lo logos of God 
the, the, the body of knowledge of God reveals it to you. And this is why in uh, John 1, 9, it says that uh, he is the light that lights every man. This, this light is rationality and uh, um, it, it's, it's uh, knowledge. It's intellectual knowledge. And so you can't deny the God of the Bible without borrowing from the Christian worldview. And when you argue against a position uh, against the Christian worldview, you're forced in some sense to assume it's truth or to steal from, from its precepts. Um, and so, of course, this uh, is rightly pointed out as, as irrational. It's, it's a futile position to uh, argue in such a fashion. And so all week I, I, was, I was trying to come up and, and uh, I mean, we had talked about this uh, um, throughout the week because, because I was trying to come up with a different tagline to the Ventilians, uh, you know, we, we can prove God by the impossibility of the contrary or the ultimate proof of God is that without him you can't prove anything because both of those are are wrong and and I mean as we've amply shown both of those wrong so I came up with a different tagline and this is basically what what I would say this is what I'm offering I'm offering a corrective to those to those common statements that are always said and that's this instead of saying that we should say this we can expose the unbelievers knowledge of God by the irrationality of denial or we can expose the unbeliever's knowledge of God by the inconsistency of denial. Or we can expose the unbeliever's knowledge of God by the futility of denial. So there you have it. There's three options of a, of a tagline. Um, and I like that it's a tagline. Um, so there's three options to three other alternatives that are, I think, logically sound. I, I think that they're not um, they, they, they don't have the same problems that the others that the other taglines have. So I think we should just start saying that. And uh, you know, just to wrap this up, um, once again, we just want to we, we just want to submit that we're coming at this from the position of in the same sense in which Priscilla and Aquila went to Apollos. and you know, I, I, I hope that that's received because we do hold our Ventilian brothers and sisters in the Lord with high regard. And we do we do think that they're, they're brothers and, and sisters in Christ. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of good uh, come from them. We see them going out into the street and and you see a lot of a uh, uh, street evangelists use uh this uh, apologetic method you see uh you see a lot of people go out there and, and they're they're witnessing for the gospel and they use these lines and so for that we we definitely would would want to commend them for that and um and say that we're grateful for that and say that we really appreciate uh all that they do and um, so that's the heart attitude behind this. We don't think that we're better. Um, and we, we don't, uh, we're, we're not trying to, to cut anybody down. We're actually trying to edify the church. We're trying to come alongside people and say, 
you know, we're convinced that this is problematic and this other way is better. And, and we're sincerely hoping that this uh, gets picked up. But uh, Carlos was right. Uh, next, uh, next episode, we're going to have to um, talk about the, uh, how, how the transcendental argument is used from the, from the Clarkian perspective and um and how that argumentation is applied i think we might throw in some uh some of clark's views on science in there as well uh so i hope you uh hope you got something out of this and um we hope to we, we hope that people are listening and and we we hope that people share this and we'll uh we'll see you next week god bless